Wow, amen. How about that? Yeah. Hey, let's get to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you have your Bibles with you, 1 Peter 4, we're going to look at 4 and just a little bit of 5. Uh, but if you don't have your Bibles, uh, it's super easy to get there, right? You just take your phone and you just throw in Bible in Google. You'll get something. Maybe you have an app or you put in BibleGateway.com. You can bring it up. But get yourself to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we've been building in this series talking about hardship. And we're going to kind of nail it this morning, jumping right into what it looks like. We moved to Chicago from Arizona in January of 2008, right? That's not the right month to move to Chicago. Uh, January of 2008, we moved in. There's snow on the ground. I think there was snow on the ground like for all four years. So that... But we moved in, it was cold, and uh, we got into our house, and we moved into a 110-year-old house, and we learned right away the windows were drafty. Have you ever had drafty windows? I mean, you could stand in front of the windows, and it felt like a fan blowing on you. At a time of year, you did not want a fan blowing on you. We couldn't get the bed up the stairs when we were moving in. In fact, just before that, like, the movers, they worked their two hours unloading the truck, and they just they were gone. We had to finish unloading the truck. Couldn't get the bed up the stairs, so I had, to, I had to saw every rib of that bed all the way down and fold it like a taco and carry it up the stairs and then screw metal plates on all the way down that never did quite work properly. There was an open well we learned in the backyard. We have very little kids. Sierra was two and a half years old, and so there was an open well in the backyard. So we were panicking moving in. My first meeting at the new uh, place I was working, I went into HR and they said, hey, we're not going to be able to pay you what the athletic director said because that's close to what a professor makes and we don't do that around here for coaches. Like, oh, but here's some vouchers for the, uh, uh, for the cafeteria. So that was the trade-off. So th we kept running into these things, moving to this new location. And so Shri and I developed this little phrase. We would look at each other and we would say, why does it have to be so hard? Have you ever said that? Why does it have to be so hard? You're like, yeah, this morning when I woke up, why does it have to be so hard? And so we just kept encountering these things, and we turned to each other and go, why does it have to be so hard? Well, February, you might know, is uh, Shamrock Shake beginning month at McDonald's. Anybody with me on that? So, yep, Jeremy, you and I, okay. Um, no? That, that's an emphatic no, Sheila. So, all right, well, um, we won't invite you, but Jeremy and I are going... So I go into to McDonald's, uh, and we're just like a month and a half into this new move, constantly going, why does that have to be so hard? And we're in McDonald's and orders Shamrock Shake. And sure enough, and this is going to be a shocker to you, the, the shake machine was down. <laughs> yeah. And I remember almost verbalizing in the middle of McDonald's, standing in line, going, why does it have to be so hard? You know? Before I dawned on me, you're getting a shake. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is not like life-shattering here that you're getting a shake. But, man, I was in that mindset. I had just moved to that point where everything seemed difficult and hard. And so at every turn, what I saw, there was no blessing, right? It was hardship. It was difficulty. It was this. And we can find ourselves in that place, can we not? Well, Peter is actually talking about hardship, and I think he's going to give some principles that are helpful across the board, but here's what we're going to learn with Peter. Peter's not even talking about what I just shared. Like, he's not saying, hey, you run into things in life. Sometimes you got to saw a bed in half, you know, deal with it kind of thing, right? Peter's actually going to be talking about there is actually a hardship 
that will show up when you decide, I'm going to ground myself in the Christian faith and the ways of Jesus, and I'm going that way. Like, I am locked in. This is the way I'm going. I'm not choosing another way. And if I get into it, and it seems like, how does this actually play out, and I'm facing some difficulty, and I don't understand everything, I'm committed to it, and I'm going. Peter's actually going to say, there's hardship that actually shows up in that life. And God is with you in that hardship. God is walking with you. There is reward and there is blessing, even if it's difficult. In fact, sometimes as Christians, I think we, what we do is we say, I'm going to become a Christian because my hardships are going to go away. Or you might invite people to become Christians because you, their hardships will go away. And in reality, in a way, our God promises them they're going to be there. But he will walk with us, and there's reward, and there's blessing in walking through it. So that's what we're going to walk through this morning. It may be that you're facing hardship, and it may not necessarily be because of your faith. You're going to see Peter offers us uh, some insight in how we walk through it. Now, let's just make sure we understand some differences. Some of you might be walking through hardship because you keep making dumb decisions, right? We've all been there, right? Like, we make a dumb decision, we follow that up with a dumb decision, and we're constantly in the middle of this conflict and hardship. Not necessarily what Paul is, or Peter is talking about this morning. However, when he discusses the ways of Jesus, they're not dumb, so those would be good ones to latch onto and follow to come out of that. For some of you, it's not the dumb decision. I mean, you have some things that have been thrust into your life, maybe to no fault of your own that you're dealing with. This is a time of life that they're in front of you, and you're trying to navigate through them, but you won't go get the help you need. You just are keeping it to yourself. Nobody needs to know my business, or I can overcome it myself. And you're trying to walk through it without trying to get the help that you need. And so you just continue to live in hardship. And though Peter is not necessarily talking about that situation, I certainly think he is offering things that can be helpful for there as well. So perk up on all sides if you're dealing with hardship in any way. Now, you may be saying, look, I'm a believer and I'm not dealing with any hardships. Life is like just swimmingly right now. It's wonderful. Well, Peter might say, buckle up. Because <laughs> so, they find their way into this Christian life as well. But you have something in Christ that's different. So, First Peter, I give you enough time to look at it. Are you going to ramble on a few, 10 more minutes to, for you to find it? You got it? First Peter 4? Good. Some of you are looking at me like you're not there. Oh, all right, we'll look at it. 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered as a human, you should also arm yourself with his way of thinking. Now, we know that J Jesus suffered. We'll say Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross for us. And that depiction is a pretty strong graphic of suffering. But if you go back and you read the Gospels as well, just read the stories of Jesus, there are all levels of hardship and suffering are things that Jesus ran into all the way through. It seemed like this was a part of his life. And what Peter is wanting us to know from the beginning of chapter 4 is if we're going to ground ourselves in Christ, we have to expect we might face the same type of things. There might be hardship and suffering and difficulties that come along with embedding ourselves to Christ. Since Christ has suffered as a human, you should also arm yourself. Now, what's the part of as a human that he's putting in there? He's simply saying this. Being human brings difficulties. Do they not? It brings hardships. 
There's things that you face and that I face, even if they're not the same thing, it's the same category of its hardship, things to endure, to overcome, to push through. This is what the human life brings. Sometimes it's my, on my fault. Sometimes it's no fault of me, but life brings these things. And Jesus encountered them as well. Do you remember the passage in, in Philippians chapter 2? In verse 5, Paul's a writer, tells us, adopt this attitude that was in Christ. What was his attitude? Though he was in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to exploit. What's Paul getting at there? He's saying, look, Jesus was God incarnate, but he chose his human form. And he actually surrendered himself in many ways to this human form, remaining he faced the difficulties too. He had to work through the hardships just like you and I do as a human. So since he suffered in this way, you should know, you should think this way too, that it can come our way also. So if you walk in the ways of Jesus, you will endure hardship. Thank you, Tom. What a wonderful, uplifting, encouraging message you're offering us. Let's pray. We're out of here. So, no, but it, it's the truth. It's the reality of life. Now, he's going to go on. He's going to share more. He says this. This is because whoever suffers is finished with sin. That's a pretty bold statement Peter is making there. Did you catch what he said? Because of what he just said, whoever suffers is finished with sin. He goes on. As a result, they don't live the rest of their life, the rest of their human lives in ways determined by human desires, but in ways determined by God's will. So here's what he's saying there is, is if you walk this way with Christ, you're going to put away your human desires and you're going to change them out for God's ways, for God's desires. You know, like you're just going to make a substitute and change that out. And from here on, you're going to say, I'm going to follow God's desires in God's ways, right? And so I'm going to sacrifice the human ways, which often do not line up with God. And because of that, you're finished with sin. Now, here's what that means, is the more I ground myself in Jesus and his ways, which don't mirror sin, they don't look like selfishness and sin and human desires, the more I am distancing myself from the human desires. Can I tell you how I think many of us Christians often live our life? Is we stay over here in our own desires, and we tag at the end the question, is this okay, God? Is this okay? And we continue living here in my own ways and my own desires and thoughts and plans without comfort. And then, is this okay, God? Is this far enough or we're okay? Almost like I want to live as close to my own selfishness or sin as I can without it actually being called that. That's not the picture we get from Peter. Peter's like, ground yourself in Jesus' ways and follow him and be like him. And the result you have distanced yourself from human desires, selfish ways, from sin. And that's really the definition of sin is our selfishness. I've, I've distanced myself. So the more you follow Jesus, the less you choose sin. That's the basic message Peter is wanting to share with us. In that, he is saying, look, Christianity should look different. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Does it look different in our world? Well, certainly Christianity looks different, but how we live it out and play it out, sometimes even as believers, 
our world is not quite sure of the differences. Jesus' ways are not like our human desires. This is what Peter is grounding in. You might say, well, duh, I know that, Tom. Amen. Let's move on to the next thing. But you've got to grasp that and own that, that Jesus' ways are not our human desires. They look different. What was the first thing we saw in, in 1 Peter chapter 1? That Our first declaration that we saw Peter say was, God's ways are better. Our first declaration. And we're seeing him follow that up here. Number three, you wasted enough time doing unbelievers, what unbelievers desire, living their unconstrained immorality and lust, their drunkenness, excessive feasting and wild parties, and their forbidden works or worship of idols. It said, look, you spent enough time living that way. You know all about that. Now, let's understand something here. He is not writing this letter to Jewish Christians. So this is not people that were Jewish. They grew up with the Old Testament law in their life that was central and, and strong. And then they heard about Jesus and they accepted Jesus. And so they're Jewish converts to Christianity. He's talking to Gentiles. Basically means non-Jewish people. Most of them grew up in the Roman Empire here. And so they would understand, you know, kind of a free-for-all in living. You know, just stay in line with what the uh, Roman government asks you to do. But kind of a free-for-all when it comes to morality. And they would grow up in this. This is what they knew. Now, many of us parents, if you're my age, you would know our young folks. If you have teenagers, maybe college age, just out of college, you would know they have grown up in a different world with a different worldview than you and I grew up with. My parents were deeply concerned when I went to high school. You know, Tom, please stay away from sex, drugs. And I don't think they said rock and roll. Maybe they implied it. I don't know. But those were the things. But now we consider worldview. What are they thinking? What, what are they calling morality? What's right and what's wrong? It's all shifted entirely away from a biblical model of morality. And so that's how they grew up. And Peter is saying, look, you spent enough of your life that way. Don't bring this into your Christianity. It's not compatible. It doesn't work. He names a few things, immorality and lust and drunkenness excess feasting, wild parties. Check the last one, forbidden worship of idols. And they would literally do this. They'd put an idol, and they would worship this idol. Oh, give me a great harvest, or, you know, give me, you know, whatever with that. And they pray to this idol, or put the idol up in the proper place, or place the proper thing in front of the idol. And he said, look, that was your past life. Jesus' ways, they don't, they don't have this in it. Here's the question. There was a time when, for Christianity, we probably moved from late 1800s in the holiness movement of our faith, which was just this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit for many years, several decades, to maybe understanding that in a list of do's and don'ts. What should we do and what shouldn't we do? If we do these, we're Christian. If we don't do these, that kind of thing, we, our understanding. And we kind of caught glimpse of this maybe 15, 20 years ago and said, that's not enough we got to return to the heart of this thing of Christianity, loving Jesus, loving others, that type of thing. But if we're not careful, and we might already see this, the pendulum then swings all the way back the other way, where we can go and act and behave and do or be involved in anything, as long as we think, God knows my heart, he knows I love people. And Peter's reminding us, no, that, those, those actual actions were part of your old life, what you were into, what you kind of 
put your fun in or your trust in, those are part of your old life. They don't match up with this new life in Christ. And they're a barrier to you experiencing what Jesus has to offer in this new life. And I wonder, and here's the question, what does that look like today? What does that look like for us today? It could very well be immorality and lust, drunkenness, excess, feasting, wild parties. You know, it could, it could be that. I think in terms of, like, what do we watch? What do we allow ourselves to just view on TV? I, I can't even begin to think of all the streaming networks and what we have capability to watch. I mean, literally today, if you're watching a movie on your television and you need to go somewhere, right, you just flip it to your phone, and then you just continue out the door watching it, right? And then you get in your car, and it connects to your car speakers, and you drive, and, you know, you do this kind of thing, and you keep it going. And then when you get where you're going, you, I mean, you can finish. You can continue on. We're kind of captivated and locked in. It seems like in our culture, viewing movies, TV shows, those type of things, YouTube, etc., that's just part of our culture. This is part of what we do. But do we ask the question... Where is it where Peter would say, that's part of your own life, what you're watching? There's a lot of good stuff probably to watch instead of what you're watching. Here's a rule in, in our house with Shree and I is we don't watch something with, with like sex or nudity in there. Um, now, again, I'm not trying to be holier than thou. I just really know I'm a guy, I'm visual, and I don't want that locked in. Like, so if you're like, if you're like, how oh, Tom, come on, you're making too big a deal of this. Listen, men especially, one of two things. Either you're just way farther advanced than me on this, and you've been able to overcome and that, or you're lying. <laughs> you know, it's one of those two things. And so we just say, well, like, that's something that we don't think is compatible with my walk with Christ, and it will become a barrier to what Christ can do in me. And so that's something we stay. But what does this look like? In our modern age, you can answer that yourself. 97% have sex outside of marriage or sex before they have marriage or before they are married. 97%. That's most people. And so we've, we've sometimes created something where we're still doing the actions. And Peter would tell us today, like he's saying here, those aren't compatible. That was, that's your former life. Don't return to that. So the reminder is this, worldly desires lead to worldly actions. When we, have the, when we follow human desires instead of God's way, they actually lead to those actions as well. Peter's going to go on and say, they think, now he's going to talk about what people seeing you live out your faith, because he's, he, he's already said there, if you want to be like Christ, you're going to face suffering, it's going to come. Verse 4, he picks up that they think it's strange that you don't join them in these activities with the same flood of unrestrained wickedness, so they slander you. Peter's saying, look, when you decide you're going to live out the faith, full deal, you're walking with it all the way, sometimes people will look at you and go, I don't understand that. That's strange. Why do they do that? Or whatever the case may be. They're not going to understand why you tell them, I'm not going to join into your activity. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say no. Listen, for me to say no to somebody, I'm not going to do that, it doesn't then have to turn around, like especially as a preacher, with a three-point sermon that I now preach to them on why they should not do it either. But it's me saying, no, no, thank you. Um, you know, Peter's saying they're not going to understand that. And sometimes they're even going to slander you for that. Meaning sometimes they're just not going to get it, and you're going to hear that come out. 
it's okay is what Peter's saying. That's okay. That's not a reason to then go do that activity. But he's saying, just stay away from that. And they may not understand. When you choose to reject worldly desires, you risk rejection yourself. You risk it. Listen, scan your TV. Find all your sitcoms. And find the one character that has chosen to be a Christian or the character that's chosen to, you know, wait to have sex till they're married. Or it's some, somebody, uh, some character that seems to be somewhat in line with, with God and Christianity. And they are often, not always, but they are often, they're the nutcase. <laughs> or they're the one that's, that's kind of uh, written as the awkward, weird character. And that's okay, is what Peter's saying. You walk with Christ. He has something to offer you. There's a reward and a blessing in it. But the world around you may not understand. So if you're looking for everyone to understand your faith walking around, Peter's saying that's not going to happen. They won't always understand, and it's okay. Now, he goes on, and he's going to get a little strong. He says, they'll have to reckon with the one who's ready to judge the living and the dead. They're at, they'll have to deal with the judgment on their own. They'll have to deal with their rejection of this on their own. Now, we don't find in here that Peter said that's not your role. It's not your job. You don't have to be the judge here. Uh, but they'll have to deal with that one day. And that goes before them going before God. Now, there's a little phrase in there where he says, judge the, the living and the dead. In verse 6, we get this preach to the dead. And then in verse uh, chapter 5, we'll see this raising you up. Now, here's what we're going to do because I don't have time to, to break down that fully for you. That's going to be your extra teaching as I've been offering that each week on video to break down exactly what that means. And to do that, we have to cross-reference some Old Testament passages and their understanding of that also. So we'll get to that Tuesday the extra teaching. If uh, you're not been getting our emails and you want that extra teaching, just simply fill out one of the cards with your contact and you'll get it on Tuesday. But he's basically, look, there'll, there'll be a judgment for coming. You don't have to worry about this. But judging them for their desires isn't your role, is what Peter is saying. But we're all going to be judged by who or what we put our trust in. For all of us. Whatever you put your trust in, you're going to be judged eventually is what Peter is declaring. Now, we can say, I don't I think Peter's wrong. But this is clearly what Peter is saying. And those of us who follow the Bible, we would say, yeah, we, we see that in other passages. We see that this is the case. Now, we go on to verse 6, and Peter writes this. Indeed, this is the reason the good news was also preached to the dead. This is the hope is what he's saying. This is the reason it was preached because there are there is a judgment coming. There is a time when our rejection of the faith will have to be held accountable and this is why the good news of Jesus is continually preached. This is why we push on you week after week when you go like, oh, here he goes again. This is why we say it. Go share Jesus with someone. Go share Jesus with somebody. When the opportunity opens up, then walk through that door with Jesus and offer it to him. That's why we keep saying it, because we know there is a judgment that's coming. There is saying yes or no to Jesus right here on this earth, and we want to offer him 
to everyone. That's what Peter is saying here. Now, preach to the dead. There's actually three different understandings of dead here that, that show up, three different interpretations of this. Um, that's going to be the, the teaching I offer you on Tuesday. So if you're like, ah, oh, pins and needles, then you can wait till Tuesday and you can pick up that. Uh, but you're going to see where I lean on it is Peter borrowing from Paul and from Jesus in this understanding of being spiritually dead, that when we reject God and his ways, that we're called dead. Jesus and Paul both use these terms in the Gospels and then Paul in the book of Romans as well. And so he's saying there, look, this is why the good news is preached to those who are spiritually dead, those who have not chosen to follow Jesus' way because he wants to see them come to know and avoid that judgment here. This is why Jesus came, to bring life to those who are dead, to bring life. Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. There's some of you in here, I know that you have said yes to Jesus, and you would call yourself a Christian, and there's some of you who have probably never said yes in that way. You wouldn't identify yet as a Christian, or if you do, you might say, I'm beginning to question, you know, why I identify. I thought it was because I grew up in a Christian house, or I thought it was because I'm an American, um, and now you're understanding there's a choice to be made. This passage is for all of you, though. When I was younger, and I would preach, and I was a, a, a minister, and I was a youth pastor and loved it, I often thought of passages like this, and I thought, oh, this is for people who are, are non-Christians, pre-Christians. They've never said yes to Jesus. They need to kind of wake up and have the life of Jesus Christ, and that certainly is true. But the longer I've gone in ministry, the more I've seen one of the worst places to be in is to carry the title of Christian and the past testimony of I said a prayer and to come to church regularly. But if you are honest, you walk around and go, I'm kind of spiritually dead. This verse is offered for you too. That there is life for you today in Christ just the same. Doesn't mean you have to say yes and re-be re baptized. It doesn't mean you even have to say, well, well, am I out of heaven and now I'm trying to get back into heaven? You know, those wouldn't be the questions asked. It would, it would simply be this. If you feel like you're spiritually dead, then come to Jesus today. Come to Jesus. Whether you carry the title of Christian or not, that's what he is here to offer you. So chapter 5 tells us exactly what this is about. He says, therefore, humble yourself under God's power so that he may raise you up in the last day. The raise you up in the last day, that'll be part of that Tuesday teaching that I'll pick you up uh, on Tuesday. Humble yourself under God's power. But put your trust in God instead. Instead of human desires and human ways, put your trust in God. You've never said yes to Jesus to become a Christian? Put your trust in God. You're a Christian, and you've been kind of swimming in this area over here of human desires and saying, God, is this okay? Is this okay? Step over and offer yourself to God and put your trust back in Christ. Throw your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Some of your translations say, cast your burdens on Jesus. He cares for you. I remember when I was in England, we would sing this song. We were at camps, and we were helping at camps. And they would sing this song at one particular camp, cast your burdens on Jesus. He cares for you. And then it would have this little declaration of Jesus is higher, higher. It's about three lines of a song. They would sing three lines over and over and over again. I mean, like, listen. Pastor Nancy, Hillsong's got nothing on them. I mean, it was three songs, three lines for 12 minutes, over and over and over and over. 
And like after a few nights, I, I actually asked one of the guys, his name was Eli, who was leading. And I actually asked him, um, why, do you, why do you guys sing it <laughs> so many times? And he said, we sing it or we repeat it till we get it. And I was like, hmm, that's a good line to sing over and over. That's a really good sign to cast your burdens, cast your cares onto Jesus. He cares for you. That's a good one to sing over and over. Maybe even you have not sung it over enough to get it. And that's a good one to go out. Just sing it over. You say, I don't know the tune. I don't know. Make one up. You know the words, right? And sing it over and over. That's a good one to sing over and over. Because I know for, for one, in our in our culture, what we like to do is we like to speak out or complain about or tell everybody oh, what I'm going through. Oh, blah, blah. Um, Jesus, I need you, you know. But then we like to say, Jesus, I need you, and just go on with our day like we didn't say anything. And the whole time there's like this church family that wants to be part of caring. You can cast your cares. We want to care for you. We want to step up and care for you. Jesus wants to have a deeper time with you, maybe in devotion or whatnot. Celebrate recovery is here available to you to be a blessing. And on and on and on and on it goes. So that's a good one to sing over and over and over. Why? Verse 8, the accuser, the devil, is on the prowl like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, make no mistake. We have to remember there is somebody battling for you on the other side. And he uses the word to devour, to take. So Peter's reminding us, put your hope and trust in God alone. And he's saying, and you'll pick some of this up on Tuesday, even when you die, you're going to be raised with him forever. You'll be with him forever. So today, I don't know what you're walking through. Could be a burden we just talked about, hardship, a difficulty. Could be that you've grounded yourself in Christ and you're facing some of, as Peter says, some of the slander that goes along with. I don't know what it is. But this morning, here's a prayer for us. And if you've stepped off in any way, letting Christ be like that sinner, or if you've never have, here would be a prayer that you can pray. I've purposely not called it the sinner's prayer or a prayer of conversion because I think it's a prayer that we just need to always make. Anytime, anytime we need to rededicate ourselves to Christ, it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take complete control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps daily by the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for answering my prayer. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to just pray for you, and I want to just leave a gap in the prayer for you to pray this prayer or something similar to God if, if he's led you that point. If you've never said yes to Jesus, this might be the morning. This might be morning, the morning to surrender your life to Christ, and you can pray this prayer. It's in your your notes this morning, you can pray it right along quietly. Or maybe you're a Christian and you would say, I need to re-surrender myself. I need to re-give myself over to the Lord and let him walk through whatever I'm facing with me. That's your prayer too. So let's pray. Father, would you hear now for anyone who needs to just do a little business with you and time with you, anyone who needs to speak to you and pray a prayer like this, would you hear them now, Lord?
Lord, thank you for receiving every, every commitment that was made, every heart that needed to cry out to you and speak to you. And now would you send us out here empowered by your Holy Spirit, as the prayer says. We pray in your son's name. Amen.